We're kicking off the 2022 legislative session with Representative Betsy Fogel of Springfield, Missouri on this week's Renew Gurus. Hello out there in podcast world. This is Renew Gurus, your source for all things energy policy and politics in Missouri and beyond. I'm Executive Director James Owen coming to you live on tape from our palatial studios in North Columbia. Joined on the boards, as always, by our producer, Philip Forsika. Hi, Philip. Hey, James. How's it going today? Well, it's going great. Thank you for asking. Hey, Philip, we have a very exciting guest. Um, someone I've, I've only kind of gotten to know, like, just recently since she has been, um, you know, involved with, you know, politics. Uh, but it's someone I feel like I've known forever. Uh, Representative Betsy Fogel, Democrat from Springfield. She represents the 135th district there in uh, Missouri, in, in Springfield for now. Uh, that might change. And we'll talk about that a little bit, uh, which is essentially like, I'm trying to do this. It's like part of central Springfield and it's like Eastern Springfield. Does it go past 65? A little bit. Little bit. A little bit. A little bit. Okay. It used to a lot. And that was a real bad spot for uh, people of, of your, of your political ilk. Uh, but yeah, Betsy Fogel. Good, uh, good. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, you are catching me on the back end of our first day of this year's legislative session, and I'm happy to say we made it through. Well, that's good. <laughs> you gaveled in. We gaveled in. We did some procedural stuff, introduced special guests, had two uh, resignation speeches mm -hmm. from two colleagues who are, are not going to be with us this legislative session and yeah. gaveled out. That was it. Was it? Then, I mean, you're, you, you have stuff tomorrow. Yep. We're back in session tomorrow and then uh, we'll head home tomorrow evening. Yeah. Okay. Cause I know that, uh, and I know there was some talk about, there was going to be some, usually like just to kind of like give our listeners some insight is that, you know, you all have kind of like all the lawmakers have like a caucus on four o'clock on Mondays. And then that's kind of followed sometimes by an evening session or evening committees. You work, Tuesday, Wednesday, then you have Thursday uh, meetings, sessions, and then that goes for however long it is. And you're usually home for Friday, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, that's usually like what your week looks like during that five-month period you're in Jefferson City. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. This so, year, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say this year's a bit of an anomaly. We do plan to work Fridays during January hmm. just because we have some tight deadlines with congressional redistricting and some of the federal stimulus dollars. Uh, mm -hmm. So legislators will be working slightly harder this year than we have in years past. Well, it's just as long as you don't do any more damage. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, so no, yeah, because it's interesting. Yeah, because you mentioned the the legislative maps. Um, I am I have always been really fascinated by this. I know this has nothing to do with uh, the job I have now, but you know, every ten years for our our listeners out there. Uh, you know, we get the census done and then we decide how much uh, population has changed in Missouri. And then we have to redraw all the maps that are for Congress, for your U.S. congressional seats, for your state Senate seats and for your state House seats. Um, usually those end up going to like they have these committees and they sit there and they try to figure out what the maps should look like. And they usually end up going to judges, appellate judges who draw them poorly 
Um, you know, we did have a, uh, you know, funny enough, we did have a uh, ballot measure that all of you voted on that actually was pretty popular uh, that was going to change that and put that into a kind of a nonpartisan, uh, you know, kind of like, I guess, like kind of a, there was going to be kind of a map maker and that had to be like voted on up and down by the legislature couldn't be changed. But then there was another vote and then people undid that vote. You're exactly right. Uh, we had clean Missouri, then we had dirty Missouri. <laughs> I think there, I think the supporters of that called it cleaner Missouri, which was a very funny use of language. So, yeah. So right now, as you said, the congressional districts, we have those. Those have been presented to in a bill. I think your colleague, Dan Shawls introduced that. And it kind of, it kind of leaves everything a little bit of the status quo, a little bit. Mm-hmm. But there are some people who don't like that. Absolutely. Yeah. I think if you talk to members on both sides of the aisle, people dislike it, but for very different reasons. We've seen members of the conservative caucus on the Senate side who have said that anything less than a 7-1 map, seven Republicans, one Democrat representing us in D.C., um, in their opinion, isn't good enough. When you look at the trends of how Missouri votes, a seven in one representation to me is, is grossly underrepresenting those of us who identify as Democrats here in Missouri. Uh, two map definitely gets us closer. I think there could be an argument made for a five, three. Um, but when, as we go through the process, of course, all of us will be committed to making sure we do what's fair and, and what best represents the people that share this great state with us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause, and I know like, yeah, cause the seven, one map, I mean, like what a lot of people are referencing to is kind of splitting up the Kansas city area where it would be more, um, more likely to be Republican right now. There's a democratic congressman reverend cleaver who represents that area the the first district in st louis they can't really touch there's a there's a lot of like legal issues involving race and representation that they can't do anything with that so uh, and i know that some of the people that have concerns also look at the second district in st louis county where representative ann wagner is who is in a increasingly you know, it's trending to be more Democrat, but, you know, she still wins like by pretty, pretty steady margins, but there, there is a, a desire. They think that it's only going to get more Democratic. And so they want to try to dilute that. This is me talking. This is not Representative Fogel. I don't want to <laughs> endorse any of that, but I want to get to all that because there is state house seats that are, are being considered now. A lot of there's been a lot of consensus on those. Mm hmm. But there's still some open questions. And I think some of those open questions involve Springfield. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Green County is one of the undecided uh, sections of the state that the bipartisan commission of 10 Republicans and 10 Democrats could not come to an agreement on uh, by the due date that the maps needed to be submitted to the Secretary of State. Yeah. Which, and I don't know what that date is, but I do know that you all have to refile. I mean, in your case, refile, but people have to re have to file for office starting on February 28th, and they'll have uh, March 28th to, to file. And so we're not talking about a long time from now. <laughs> yeah, it, it'll be, you know, so the where we're at in the process right now is the bipartisan commission of those 20 people, 10 Republicans, 10 Democrats, still has an opportunity to come to an agreement on those parts of the state that they haven't yet. So that would be the St. Louis area, Green County, Boone County, and parts of the Kansas City area. Right. If they can lock down those and, and get one finalized map, that will definitely expedite the process. But if they can't, then as you said earlier, it goes to a panel of appellate court judges appointed by the Missouri Supreme Court. 
and they could either redo the whole map in its entirety or just mm -hmm. redo the parts that aren't agreed upon, which will delay the process and make those filing deadlines for candidates really hard. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. It, I, well, I, I ran, I ran uh, in 2012, and it was, I think, only like a week before that the uh, that the the maps have been set. Wow. And you know, one thing I think a lot of people don't know, and I you know, like you can run when they redo these maps, you can run anywhere, but you just got to move to that district if you win before, like a year before the next election. Um, so in theory, you could like run anywhere in Missouri. Now they'll, 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 people will point that out. <laughs> um, when I was running in 2012, two of the democratic state rep candidates were not living in their district and they got hammered pretty hard for that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so you are in a, you are in a pretty competitive district down there. You are, I think, are you the only person who flipped a seat last time? I am. Yeah. So some, some interesting stats about my district. Uh, I'm one of two elected Democrats in the lower half of Missouri, myself and yep. leader Quaid, who's our minority leader in the house. She hails from Springfield. You call her leader Quaid when you're just hanging out or <laughs> she, she lets us call her crystal, but in, in uh, on podcast, like now or anything. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I, I wouldn't mind bowing to her. That's for sure. <laughs> But yeah, to your point, uh, I was the only, or the my district, um, myself and my team, we were the only individuals to flip a district from red to blue or from blue to red in the entire 2020 election cycle by a margin of less than 100 votes in a district uh, that has about 18,000 voters. Yeah. So that shows how narrow that district was. And by golly, we knocked a lot of doors and made a lot of phone calls to make that happen. And there's not a day that I walk into that state capitol that I don't remember how close and narrow that margin was. And take that responsibility very uh, seriously. Yeah. And I have to imagine, you know, the challenge you had, I, I didn't work on any campaigns or anything like that last, um, last year. And I'm not doing that as my representation of Renew Missouri. I was doing that in my individual capacity, but um, running for office during COVID. How yeah. did, I mean, did you knock on doors? So I, I had, the some people call me a little bit crazy for it, but I was lucky that I launched my campaign very early. So I started mm -hmm. knocking doors in September, about 14 months before the election. Of uh, 19? Yeah, before I was on Are the ballot. Are you serious? So I got my team and I got out there early. So we had several months of great door knocking before, of course, March 2020, when COVID, the first uh, case was detected in Greene County. And yeah. I didn't knock another door from March through the rest of the campaign cycle. I did literature drops where you just leave mm -hmm. information behind on someone's door. And then my team and I phone banked that tens of thousands of calls. Um, mm -hmm. But my background is in public health. I worked at Jordan Valley Community Health Center for six years prior to becoming an elected official. And I ran because I wanted to make our community healthier. So I was definitely not going to go out in the middle of a global right. pandemic and jeopardize people's health and well-being in a time when people were already uncertain. Uh, yeah. so it was a interesting time to run a campaign, but it prepared me for life as an elected official where you walk into the building every day, having a plan in your mind and then something changes and you got to just go with it. Yeah. Meaning during COVID uh, definitely taught me how to think quickly on my feet. Wow. Yeah. I, I can't imagine. Um, yeah. I mean, so, and I mean, also raising money, I know that that probably was hindered because you couldn't have in-person events. Um, I just, I could talk to you about that, like the logistics of trying to run for office while that was going on, because that is interesting to me because I have no idea how you do that. So 
hats off to you for getting that done. Thank you. Um, so yeah, you you mentioned a little bit about your background. You are from Springfield, born and born raised. Nice. Yep. Um, and uh, you 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 go to Missouri State. You went to Missouri State. Yeah. So proud graduate of Springfield Public Schools, and that has never been more important to me than serving in the legislature and and viewing it as a sole or not a sole but a primary responsibility to make sure that we have great public schools. I would not be here today if it wasn't for the teachers and the schools uh, that believed in me. And that's my responsibility to make sure every kid in my district has that same opportunity. So graduate graduated from Springfield Public Schools, did my undergrad at Missouri State, and then got my master's at the University of Arkansas. So public school oh. uh, all the way yeah. and then back right after and started working immediately at Jordan Valley and did that up until the day before I was sworn into office. And what did you do for Jordan Valley? What was your job there? The first few years, I kind of operated as a social worker in our clinical space. So I met with families and did Medicaid applications, food stamps, housing, um, would meet with uh, victims of sexual assault, domestic violence, making sure we had safe and stable housing, pretty much any non-clinical need that our patients had. I did that for the first few years and then had the opportunity as the organization grew to kind of grow with it. And by the end was managing several of our different clinical departments, doing grant writing and management. Mm -hmm. Uh, overseeing our mobile unit programs and our oral health programs. Um, so yeah, I had the opportunity to learn a lot about what barriers families face when they're trying to get health care and uh, which tied in perfectly to my first year as an elected official fighting for Medicaid expansion and for that funding. That was a singular reason I left a job in public health that I loved to come to this building and make sure that my neighbors had access to quality and affordable health care. And it worked out that I got to be at the table uh, through the budget committee when those conversations about expansion were happening. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, um, that it's a good, it's a good institution you worked at and a lot of important work you did. Um, and so, you know, kind of, you know, move, you, you say you, you, you kind of wanted to, to get into, you know, running for public office with that in mind. I mean, what is it about, I mean, when you, when you think about, like, I kind of want people to kind of think about that process. I mean, when did you first think like I could, I could, I mean, you have to think like, I'm going to put myself on the ballot. I think people can vote for me. I mean, you had to think like, when does that occur to you? Like, I think I could do this. So I've always really been interested in public policy, but honestly never thought that I would be the person running for office. I Uh loved understanding the intersection between the decisions that were made in Jeff city and how that trickles down and affects the single mom of three kids. who's bringing their children to the preventative dental visit on the bus and how those two things meet. And that is what Jordan Valley taught me and Jordan Valley gave me is that when we're crafting policy, we we can't just craft it for the people who look like us, who think like us, who believe like us, who make the money that we make. We're Mm -hmm. crafting policy for all Missourians. Mm -hmm. And so it was actually a representative, Crystal Quaid, who took me out to coffee and they were looking for a candidate to run in the 135th. And she asked me if I had any interest in Uh, For those listening who know me, you know that when I make a decision, I make it very quickly. So it took me all of about five minutes to decide that this is something I really wanted to do. (laughs) And to be completely transparent, um, I didn't know if I was going to be able to win. I did not enter into the race thinking that my only goal was to win or to flip a district. Of course, that was the ultimate goal, but equally important, I wanted to show people in a time that politics were so divisive that -hmm. you could run a campaign based on hope and based on a better Missouri and based on empathy for people and not just play into what we were seeing at the national level of 
everybody who thinks this way is a terrible person or vice versa. Mm. And so you, I, if, if you followed my campaign, you never saw me talk negatively about my opponent. You only saw me talk about what was important to me and why I thought I was the best choice. And I think that resonated with voters. And here I am a year later in Jeff city in my little uh, bunk bed. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, And so when you think about like, when you first thought about running and what, I mean, now you're halfway through your first term, I mean, what do you, what do you think is the biggest surprise to you about this job? If you were to say like, I, I did not expect this. I didn't know this is what this is going to be like. I mean, what would you say, you know, what, what kind of upended your expectations more? Walking into this job or into this service, I, I was probably a bit naive on the agency I would have as a freshman Democrat from Springfield to come in and file a piece of legislation. And if it was a good idea that it would get attention and it would pass. Right. What you learn very quickly is the dynamics in the building, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing are very much dependent on those in power. And if you're not a member of the majority party, um, it's very difficult to get your priorities moving. So we play a lot of defense as Democrats. And what I wish we could do is talk about what do we want to do to make Missouri great? Not, what do we have to kill or what bills do we have to kill to just stop these terrible things from happening? It'd be nice to be able to play a little bit more offense, but sure. you know, the, the building is uh, an organism that moves and breathes and depending on the weather and depending on people's moods uh, <laughs> things can get derailed so quickly. And I've yeah. never worked in an environment where that's the case, you know, in public health, everybody shows up every day because they want to make other people's lives better uh-huh. in this job. You definitely, you have people here with different motives and that's been challenging for me to acclimate to because I'm just not used to it. Yeah. What, I mean, what is, and, and so what is it like, what have you liked the most about the job since you, I mean, what, what kind of like, I, I you kind of said like that was the biggest surprise. What's something is like, you've like found like, Oh, this is really something I had no idea I would like as much about it as I do. I love getting in the weeds on policy and I love working with the departments to make their processes better. So we've had a lot of opportunity to make a difference in people's lives, even if it means my name isn't on a bill. So if you look at the legislation I filed last year, not a single piece of my legislation was ever referred to a committee or or was heard in committee. So I have to find really crafty ways of getting stuff done, which means giving Republicans my legislation to carry and letting them get the credit for it Mm -hmm. or working with departments uh, individually to make improvements. And that's been incredibly rewarding. You know, I may not, I might not be able to campaign next session on passing 10 bills, but I can know Mm -hmm. that we have children who are in our state's care who are safer. And I know that I have neighbors who now have increased access to mental health services and it's because I'm sitting in the rooms where these decisions are being made and that is just the absolute best feeling and the best uh, way I could spend my time yeah that's great uh yeah because I know you mentioned something about how you introduced bills and they didn't go anywhere one I would have liked to have seen gone somewhere you did a community solar garden bill um, you know, and, I'm not, and I'm, we're not going to talk a whole lot about energy policy on here because I'm, I think people are more interested in like your experience and what it's like to do this. Um, you know, I mean, so, I mean, what, is, I mean, so what, I mean, do you, have you ever had, like, do you have a lot of interest in like renewable energy about clean energy, about climate? I mean, what was your, what was your thoughts on that before you became a state rep? Yeah. So every time I'm talking about policy or, writing policy or debating policy, I always look through it through the lens of public health. And environmental policy 
and renewable energy is so important because it impacts people differently based on where they live, right? Based on the resources that they have. We know that future generations are going to be less healthy and get sick exponentially more if we don't address some of these climate change issues now. If you look at what we've seen, even just in the United States the last several weeks, there's very terrible stuff happening to our environment. And I'm not going to be here to suffer most of those um, problems. I'm, I'm living through some of them now, but it's going to be the next generation and the next generation. And my responsibility in that building that I walk into every single day is to make life better for Missourians that are here with us now, but to make life better for Missourians down the road. And Missouri is going to be a place, we know this, that people probably want to move uh, as we continue to see problems at the coast and problems in different parts of the United States. We got right. to do it to protect it. And community solar gardens was a, a pilot program for that was a small way. But as you know, in the state legislature, oftentimes change comes very slowly and very easily. Yes. And hope I'm hoping that I can find some Republicans to carry that for me or a similar bill and that we can get some support because we have to open our eyes now. We can't continue to ignore this problem. There is uh, Senator Bill White, Republican from Joplin, has a community solar bill um, filed in the Senate. He pre-filed and we're very excited about that. He's a very pro-solar guy. Great. Um, just FYI. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll have to go visit him and tell him I support it. You should. Yeah, he he's actually really, really good on that uh, issue um, uh, on that. But, I, you know, you mentioned something interesting. I actually mentioned this to one of your colleagues. Um, climate migration is going to be a thing that I don't think people quite understand how much impact that's going to have on states like Missouri, because um, you're going to start seeing flooding in Florida. You're going to you are seeing um lots of extreme drought and fires in california which are gonna like start really wearing on people if they don't have any water they're gonna have to do something and they're gonna start moving inward and um do i think we have the infrastructure do i think we have the um the setup for that i don't think we do um now you know, my, my focus is just on renewable energy and, and clean energy and all that. So I can't speak to that, but I do think you, you're very right. And I think not a lot of your fellow lawmakers are thinking like 10, 15, 20 years from now, we might see an influx of population here because of that. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I, I think people are even now in 2022, starting to think about that. I have a brother who lives in Washington, DC, and he is very much considering a move back to the Midwest for this exact reason. I have good friends who live in Chicago who talked about, uh, you know, the Chicago river and, and how all the problems that they've had there, and they're looking to move back to Missouri area. Um, and I, so I think that there are already certain kinds of people that are having those thoughts and, and considering where they can relocate, knowing that in 10 to 15 years, some of those places are going to be inhabitable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so when you talk about this, I think a lot of people think like, oh, it's really cold today. It It, it is. It was 75 degrees on Christmas Eve. <laughs> uh, and, you know, and I, I think people just are not realizing that this is something that is coming down hard on us. Um, but I mean, you know, we, we keep working on it bit by bit, piece by piece every day. Um, so, you know, it, I think, you know, I think, you know, you, you probably, I don't know because the maps are fluid and because, you know, there's a lot of questions still. I mean, people are always going to be trying to recruit candidates coming up to the deadline. I mean, 
when you were like talking to someone about whether they think about running for public office of any kind, I mean, what do you, what do you think you tell them why to do it? So for me, I'm, I'm going to start by answering the question a little differently than you asked it, but okay. why people don't run or mm. the conversations I've had with people who, who can't number one, it is really difficult to spend half of your life away from your friends and family. You know, it's, it's no secret. Yeah. I'm uh, not married and I don't have children. So I have different uh, restrictions or different freedoms that some of my colleagues who have responsibilities back at home, uh, they, they really sacrifice to be up in Jeff city four or five days a week and away from the ones that love them. And that can be really hard And the pay, you know, I'm incredibly thankful for the amount of money that I make in this job. And I recognize that it's right on average with the mean income in the, in district 135, yeah. but also for a lot of people making roughly $36,000 a year is just not sustainable when they're maybe accustomed no. to making more life or more money, yeah. especially when you have to live in two places and your expenses increase. Yeah. So what you end up seeing good, bad, or indifferent is you have a lot of individuals who serve in the Missouri state legislature who are retired and are independently wealthy, Yep. which leads to a certain perspective, life perspective being represented probably disproportionately than there are Missourians who share that same worldview. Mm -hmm. So it's incredibly important to me that we have a diversity of opinion and, and representation in the Missouri state legislature, because that's how good policy is born. So yeah. when you're talking to somebody about why to run, obviously you have to find somebody who's in it for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. If someone's in, interested in running because they want to get on TV or they want more power, those are not the people that we want. We need teachers <laughs> and nurses and social workers and people who have a life out in the field and understand how Missourians are impacted by public policy. I think that's why I make a great legislature legislator is because I've walked those experiences with patients at Jordan Valley and I've helped lift people out of poverty. And I understand what barriers exist to someone trying to make uh, their life a little bit better for themselves and their families. That does not happen when you have all independently wealthy insurance brokers at the table. And there's nothing against the insurance industry. That's a fantastic industry, but we have to have more people who represent different backgrounds. And that's how I try to pitch people who uh, maybe want to run for office, but mm -hmm. it's a tough sell, especially in the time uh, that we live in now where politics is so divisive. You know, I've had death threats. I've had people tell me that I had a private investigator follow me around. I'm a single 32 year old. The thought of someone following me around uh, is scary, but That's scary. Um, I hope, I hope more people can, can uh, talk themselves into running for office at all levels. It doesn't have to be the state legislature run mm -hmm. for school board, run for city council, run for County commission. Those are invaluable positions that yeah. we need people, uh, qualified people and people in it for the right reasons to run for. And don't require you to move anywhere in some of those cases. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, and that's, and that's, a, that's another, yeah, because one, I mean, yeah, one thing um, it is hard to keep a job uh, that you can, you have to be away from for seven months out of the five months out of the year that you're at seven months out of the year. Uh, and you know, and I, that is, it is, it is tough. You do see a lot of people who maybe don't represent what the average Missourian looks like. I think you probably look more like the average Springfieldian than almost anybody like that uh, is there. Um, but yeah, that's another thing I'm, I'm kind of interested in because um, look, politics has always been tough. It's always been rough and tumble. I've, I've certainly been involved in and around it for most of my adult life. It feels worse now. 
And when I say it feels worse, I think it, I, I feel like there has been a, a successful effort to make public officials and people that dedicated to public service the bad guy mm-hmm. because it's part of a mission to make government look bad. Right. And I see, you know, I, I you know, and I, I know you and I both have friends on, on school boards. I have friends on the school board in Springfield. I have them up here in Columbia, uh, you know, on the city council down there. It would be hard to endure some of that. Mm-hmm. You've seen it. I've seen it. Uh, I'm shocked. And I, you know, and I didn't think that like I could, you know, I, I kind of thought like, you know, I, I didn't think like you could really be surprised by anything anymore. But I guess I always can be. I, I mean, I think, I mean, you you have had these kind of personal things to you. I mean, and you, you're younger than than me. But I mean, certainly, do you get a sense that there's a, a shift, a tonal shift with public service? It's a little scarier. It is. You know, when we, so I, I like I said earlier, I'm 32, so I haven't. I, w- I won't claim to have been around for decades, but when we have, uh, when we're living through a time in our political world where we are one year out from an insurrection of our nation's capital, yeah, and we have a very intentional and divisive attack on our local school boards, and we have public health leaders resigning from public office because death threats against themselves and their families when their only goal from day one was to do their job, which has always been to keep their community safe and healthy. That is unacceptable. And what makes me sad, a lot of it makes me sad, but, you know, for my hometown Springfield, what I love about that place is typically, you know, we are Springfieldians before we are Republicans or before we are Democrats. And and that's what I love about my hometown. You know, we, are a place where we are, we take pride. I take pride in being from Springfield. I, I don't want to live anywhere else, but it's hard when some of these national level issues are finding their way and trickling their way down into my community, into my schools, into my kids. And I wish that, I wish that we would all understand that the future of our state and the future of our country is going to be so much better when we stop trying to politicize things that should have never been politicized. We're seeing yeah. it in education. We're seeing mm-hmm. it in public health. And it really is aggravating here in a state like Missouri when we have a Republican supermajority in the House and in the Senate and a Republican governor and three of our statewide electeds are Republicans. When you talk about public education or public health, you're talking about your own party. Yet somehow mm-hmm. we politicize these things. And I know, of course, I'm talking through a partisan lens. The show is not yeah. partisan. But I think it's just, it's been heartbreaking to watch and who really suffers are the kids in our public schools, the teachers trying to teach them, the nurses trying to keep us healthy. And honestly, they all deserve so much better than what society has given them over the last two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, and this will be me speaking, not Representative Fogel, but I mean, you know, you, you see a lot of insanity there. And I, I think there is a lot of coordination of it. I think that the school board attacks are very much people who are wanting to denigrate public schools. I think the people who wear Holocaust stars to city council meetings are trying to very much make, they're trying to make local government seem chaotic, Mm -hmm. uh, to make it seem not functioning. I mean, I don't know if those people necessarily know they're being used. (laughs) And this is me talking, uh, but they are. I mean, and I, you know, we deal with this a lot because we have, we, we deal with a lot of misinformation about wind farms, and solar, and that sort of thing. We just dealt with that up in Boone County 
uh, with a wind farm issue. I mean, people spouting off insane things, being persuasive to uh, policymakers at the local level. And I don't even think these people realize that a lot of that stuff is being placed on social media by moneyed interests who have motives beyond what they think. Absolutely. What these people who are using it think. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, like when, when you and I talk about schools and we talk about local government and we, I talk about uh, some of this misinformation about um, uh, about renewable energy, we're talking about the same thing. Uh, it is it is something that is a, a lot more intrusive, a lot more uh, deceptive than I think people realize. Um, and people, I mean, you know, like, I don't know what the answer to it is. I'm not going to sit here and say I know the answer to it. I think when social media makes it easy to get access to this, I'm not going to say what I think the solution to that is because I don't want like you to be <laughs> blind to it. I'll tell you what I think off off mic. Um, there, there, I mean, I, I think there's some certainly certain things you can do. Maybe not at the um, state level, but it is certainly is accelerated. Like social media has certainly accelerated a lot of this. But at the same time, you know, look, good thing about social media is Renew is always on social media. I've I saw you. You were very good on Instagram uh with with your campaigns and I, I think people do notice that i i i do and i think it, it's not something that like an average voter is sitting there watching right. but certainly it does catch i mean it says certainly catch catch a, a certain part of someone's imagination about running for office see that visually right. and to know what that looks like mm-hmm. um you can't really convey what it's like to 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 talk to a potential voter or to deal with like you know personal attacks on you because i heard them against you on the radio and on TV and everything while I was down there. Uh, You know, it's not easy to convey any of that. It's probably not going to go away (laughs) anytime soon, but so you can't convey that, but I think there is certainly something you can, you can use social media for good. Absolutely. You have. Yeah. Thank you. You know, my sister is a a middle school or an intermediate school teacher in the Nixa school district. And of course, this is uh, me not speaking at all on behalf of their district, but just an observation. And, you know, there's so much negative that comes from social media and and youth consumption of social media. You know, we Mm -hmm. we talk a lot about mental illness and we talk a lot about um, some of the problems that isolation, you know, looking at your phone can create. But one of the interesting things that she shared is just the exposure that now kids have to children that are not like them. You know, mm-hmm. when, when I grew up, uh, you know, I'm 32, you can do the math. I didn't have social media. I didn't have a phone no. until I was in high school. And if I didn't have someone in my class who looked different or who was, who spoke different or who thought different, I wasn't going to come in contact with that. But mm-hmm. now I can get on, on TikTok and they can look at kids from all over the world and view all sorts of different walks of life. And I think yeah. to your point, that's a beautiful thing that we are going to continue to see um, create a better, more inclusive world, but also it can be used for such terrible, terrible. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. And it, it's scary to think of what the world will look like in 10, 20 years when technology continues to get smarter and smarter. Um, yeah, <laughs> not something I'm training my daughter about. to fight robots. <laughs> <laughs> I expect her to be like Sarah Connor. <laughs> uh, I hope, you know, I hope you get that reference. Oh, I do not. Oh my gosh, no. <laughs> That's from the Terminator. Oh. I figure, don't well, I can't say don't tell anybody because now people are listening. I've never seen the Terminator. Oh my gosh. 
Well, watch, watch them, especially Terminator 2. It's awesome. Okay. Uh, oh my gosh. Like I just, I literally just felt like um, that scene in Saving Private Ryan where Matt Damon goes from looking like Matt Damon to looking like the old guy. Like, I just feel like making that reference to you. I'm going to uh, make it even worse. I've never seen Saving Private Ryan. Oh. <laughs> I, I apologize in advance. I'll be oh. honest, I, I started it once. <laughs> Uh, made it about 20 minutes in but it was the like most violent 20 minutes oh. i've ever seen in any movie like oh i mean well look i mean like listen yeah that that okay to be fair to you uh that first 20 minutes is it was, in, in my opinion and we're not on a we're not on a film podcast here i understand that but i talk about movies all the time um you know it is it is one of the most harrowing harrowing uh, sequences of any film i've ever seen yeah the first 20 minutes but it is, it is, I can imagine if you're not prepared for it, like, cause when I saw it, I saw it, like, I think opening weekend and like, everyone had been saying like, this is going to like, this, I mean, this is going to be very hard to watch. Okay. So See, I didn't have that heads up. I just yeah. went into it thinking, I mean, obviously knowing a little bit about what the movie was about and then you start watching and I'm like, well, surely this is going to pass soon. Nope. 20 minutes in. I'm like, no. I cannot handle it anymore. And let me just say too, um, I think that is an incredible bit of filmmaking. I don't like the rest of the movie. I, I think is, I can't believe we're still talking about movies now, but it, what I was going to say is like, as well filmed as it is, as well acted as it is, it's one of the worst scripts I've ever seen filmed for such a good movie. Okay. The script is atrocious. Philip, have you seen it? Philip? You, have, oh, I, have I still got you there, buddy? Yes, uh, of course. Yeah. And I would agree. The uh, the first 20 minutes are pretty tough. And then it gets to the movie. The The way the movie ends still makes me angry. Like, and it's been 24 years since it came out. And I'm still annoyed with the ending of the movie. <laughs> um, and I don't want to do any spoilers. I can't believe we're talking about that. So anyway... Terminator, you've not seen it. You should be worried about how social media is going to look in 20 years. I yes. think it's where we... Yeah, wrapping it back around. <laughs> if you are a parent or guardian listening to this, monitor your children's social media because it, it can be a dark place. If so. you're a parent or guardian listening to this, I hope you don't let your kids watch this because I don't know what they would think or hear this. I don't know. <laughs> uh, no, uh, no, you're right. No, listen, I mean, and I, I think that is, it is absolutely the thing that like when you're in you're doing policy work or, you know, doing anything like with legislation or anything like that, you are dealing with a public that is being manipulated in a way that I think is kind of, I mean, it, it is a little unprecedented. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, yeah, I mean, every time we see a shift in media, I mean, I'm sure people said like, oh my gosh, the Gutenberg press is going to be the end of us. I don't know. Maybe people said that back then. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I hope, Gutenberg press, we good on that, guys. Okay, I just want to. <laughs> yeah, but okay. I get that reference. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> no, um, but I mean, we are, we are. It is, it is really um, alarming. And I'm sorry, I'm trying to recover from this awful segue I just brought us down. Um, no, no, you're exactly right. You know, it, so even me sitting at home on my computer, I can, I did it yesterday. I pushed out content. I made a video about how to apply for Medicaid expansion, pushed it out to targeted zip codes and targeted mm -hmm. incomes in my district. I can just do that. Well, to be fair, 
I have someone who helps me with it because I'm not <laughs> good at it. But from the comfort of my own home, I can push out whatever message I want to an incredibly specific audience. And yeah. that can be a great tool. You know, I'm, I hope that I use it in a great way, but it can also be used uh, for not evil. so purposes. Yeah. I shouldn't say evil. I mean, I, I think ill motive. Ill motive. That's a good way. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, it is really is. I mean, we are, it is an incredible time where you have incredible power, like literally just, you know, in your pocket, but it is also, that is very hard to navigate mm -hmm. too. And you just hope that we're doing the best we can. Mm -hmm. um, so, wow, we got, we got really well, look at us going down this rabbit hole. <laughs> uh, what's it all about? Um, no, I mean, but I think it all kind of goes in. I mean, like I, I am very interested in like what, uh, you must have to go through uh, as an elected official right now during this very specific period of time, because it is not just about your ability to get things done or get things stopped, but navigating all these other landmines. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, you know, as elected officials, just like everyone listening in their own job, you have a lot of different priorities that are pressing on you at any given day, right? Your boss yeah. is telling you one thing, your family's telling you one thing, your coworkers are telling you another in my job. It's just slightly different because it's your constituents are telling you stuff and lobbyists are telling you stuff and your colleagues on the other side of the aisle who maybe really upset you the day before. Now you need their help on something. So you can't afford to be mad at them for too yeah. long. Praise God that I uh, don't have a too much of an ego and I forgive very quickly. Otherwise I probably wouldn't be able to get a lot of stuff done, but it's just those, those different uh, pressing demands and balancing them all is difficult. And, and sometimes elected officials don't get it right. I'm sure there's times I haven't gotten it right, but no one's perfect. Day, yeah. yeah. At the end of the day, you know, I asked myself one question before I, I press the button on my desk to take a vote. And that question is, is this going to make my community healthier and stronger? If the answer to that question is yes, then I, I'm never going to regret my vote. Um, but they're, you know, working in, in this job, there's just so many there's so much gray, you know, you can have a big yeah. omnibus bill that has 40 bills in it. And there could be 38 great things and two awful things. Well, when it's your turn to vote, are you going to press the green button or the red button? Right? Like, yeah, always just these dynamics and, and they shift so quickly. Um, but you just always have to, to keep in mind that your job is to do the greatest good that you can and, and bring home as much back to your constituency as possible. It's, 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 it is, it is, it is a, it is a very complicated job, more complicated than I think people realize. Mm -hmm. um, I think that point you just made about, you know, you have a, a big complicated piece of legislation that has good things in it, has bad things in it. And you have to weigh like where, you know, where does that balance, you know, where does that balance kind of land on like how you have to where on those questions that you're asking. Um, right. It's not easy. I mean, um, we, we see it all the time here where like there's legislation that we think might not be great, but is good for what we are, our public benefit, our public focus is, and you just have to do your best. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, oh my gosh, representative, you've been so generous with your time. Thank you. Um, if people want to learn more about you, where would you send them? Yeah. So um, me personally, I'll kind of differentiate between campaign Betsy and, and elected office Betsy. Sure. If you want to learn more about me as a candidate, 
Uh, you can go to fogelnumber4mo.com. So fogel4mo.com. Uh, okay. And there's a website and read about my issues and those kinds of things. But to our earlier point, uh, social media is also a great way of keeping up with me. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yep. Um, and then in, in terms of the elected side, I send out a weekly email with all the information about what happened that week. I'd love to add you to that email distribution list. You won't get any campaign emails from me if you're interested in that policy stuff. Um, but that would be one of the, the last things I would say on this is for anybody listening. And if you're listening to this podcast, you probably already do this, but constituents and, and people in Missouri have to do a better job of holding us accountable. You would be surprised how many pieces of legislation pass through my office without a single person reaching out and letting me know how they feel about it. And that's all of our responsibilities. We all need to do a better job of holding one another accountable. So if you're interested in learning more about a uh, policy that I'm working on or what's happening in the Capitol, reach out to me um, and I can add you to that email distribution list. But yeah, yeah. plenty of ways to, to keep up with what we're doing in the Capitol. And I look forward to hearing from you guys. Yeah. Well, I mean, Representative Fogel, uh, you've said it all. We've said it all. Uh, I, I've had a delight having this conversation with you. And uh, thank you again. Um, for all of our listeners out there, thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. Our year-end appeal is kind of just wrapped up. So if you have um, given money, thank you. If you are still thinking about it, give that. Uh, if you like this podcast, and I think this might, I hope, attract some people that don't normally listen to our podcast, Please subscribe to this on all major podcast podcast platforms. Uh, write a review, share on your social media uh, uh, places, and you know make sure you tag Representative Fogel uh, and maybe me because I'm very needy and I need your affirmation. Um, and uh, <laughs> on behalf of Renew Missouri, I want to thank you all uh, for listening. And uh, just remember, take care of yourselves and each other. Take care, folks. <laughs>